It's good to uh, have you here in worship today. Are you glad you're able to be here today? Amen. Amen. I had a music director years ago that used to ask the congregation, how many of you had rather be here today than in the best hospital in town? <laughs> and you almost can always get a pretty positive response uh, with that kind of question. Then I always wanted to follow it up with the question, uh, well, how many of you had rather be here today? I mean, honestly, rather be here today than the best fishing hole that you know? No, no, careful, don't answer out loud too much. Yeah. Well, uh, I see a few nods and a few smiles and a few questions and even a few amens there. But um, the truth is, uh, when it comes time to worship the Lord, uh, nothing should be more important than that to us. We should be drawn uh, to worship Him, and hopefully our minds and our focus can be taken off of those other things that we may do yet today or this week or on vacation or whatever the case may be. But for a few minutes, I want us to think about fishing this morning. Uh, most of you know that uh, Cynthia and I lived in Alaska for almost 10 years, and I recall the first halibut fishing trip that I went on there. Had a deacon and his son-in-law who owned a fishing boat together, and they invited us to come and go fishing with them uh, out of uh, Homer and uh, out into the Kachemak Bay area. So we went down, <clears throat> we got on their boat, and Went out 15 to 20 miles, uh, watching the GPS all the time, dropped anchor, and we got there, and they had everything ready. The boat was equipped, and, and we had the equipment and the bait and all those kinds of things. And so they um, gave me the equipment, and I started fishing, and uh, I wasn't fishing very long until I caught the first fish of the day. Then we fished on for a while. And uh, at the end of the day, I caught the last fish of the day. I'm feeling pretty good. Guess who caught the most fish that day? You got it. And guess who caught the biggest fish on the boat that day? Yeah. When we went in that day, I was feeling pretty good about fishing and my fishing skills. And we got in and we, you know, we, we cleaned all the fish and prepared it. And I was really feeling good when the deal uh, was that the first day out, we fished two days, and the first day out, I got to keep all the fish at the end. And the second day out, then they kept the fish. They got to go fishing more than I did, so they knew they'd get more regardless of how it worked out. But boy, we had a ton of fish in the coolers when we went in that day, and I'm feeling really good about it. But it didn't take me long to begin to reflect on how that day really went and to understand that it really wasn't all about me and my fishing skills after all. First of all, uh, they asked me to go with them to their fishing hole. <laughs> they had the boat, the means of getting there, and that boat was fueled up. And they had all the fishing equipment. They even had the GPS that told them where to go to the most likely spot. And so we just followed the GPS. When it said we were there, we dropped the anchor. They had the poles and, and all the equipment. They had the bait, and they had the know-how. So really all they did was say, go with us. Okay, here we are. Here's the equipment. This is what you do with it. And if you do that you'll catch fish. And I did for a very enjoyable day. But at the end of the day and at, after it was over, I began to realize that it wasn't really about me and my fishing skills. 
It was about a, an invitation. It was about equipping. It was about know-how that I didn't have, but they did have. And really all they did was tell me, take a pole, stand here and do this, and you'll catch fish. And so it was really all about them and not about me at all. I just got to do it on that particular day. Well, in our study of the Gospel of Mark, entitled Son of God, the Servant of Man, early in that chapter, Mark recorded some words of Jesus. And those words of Jesus were these, follow me and I will, I will make you to become fishers of men. And that introduced to us a thought that has been reflected uh, kind of in the background for the whole study of the Gospel of Mark that we've done from that first chapter up through the early part of chapter 6, which we completed last week as Pastor Todd uh, preached to us uh, about the matters of faith that relate to believing in who Jesus is. But that, and on this occasion where we come to today in the Gospel of Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, we have a passage of Scripture that brings back to us that early introduction of the ministry and mission that they were to be on. If I may simplify it uh, greatly, till this point in the narrative, they have been following him. He has been training them, but now he's going to be sending them. They're going to go fishing now. And they're going to go out on their own. So that's the transition that we have as we come to this passage in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. We'll read several verses there and then drop down and pick up another verse later in the chapter. Notice these words. And he, that is Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, uh, had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Let's stop at that point in the narrative and move down to just verse 30. They're out there, they're doing the work, and there's this reaction. But in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they 
had done and taught. In this passage of Scripture, as we mentioned, we see a transition taking place. Up until now, so much of what has happened in the Gospel of Mark has been about the identity of Christ. That is, about His sovereignty, about the fact that He is Lord, that He is the God-man, and not just uh, a good man, not just a prophet or a miracle-working man, but He is the God-man. The question of who He really is comes up over and over again in the narrative, and the answer to that question was often fulfilled by Jesus doing a miraculous or a supernatural thing that only God could do. So if Jesus can do what only God can do, then Jesus must be God. And so that pattern has been developing. Well, note three or four of those uh, instances. If we did go back all the way to chapter 1, verse 27, you'll find there he was delivering a man possessed by demons. And the response was, they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What is this? And so the, the question includes, you know, who is this? What, what's happening here? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Something unusual about this person who is among them. If we move all the way into chapter 2, verses 12 and 28, we find there the uh, story of when he healed the crippled man. And then we see uh, this explanation from Jesus. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Yes, he met a physical need, and it was a great act of mercy and kindness. But the heart of the matter, the truth of the, the, that was being taught was, the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. Only God can do. If Jesus can do it, then he must be God. We move on in, into chapter 4, another opportunity to notice it. At the time when he calmed the raging sea, when his disciples were so afraid. The scripture says, and they were filled with great fear and said one to another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The demons obey him. Sickness obeys him. And here, even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is this? They asked the question. Well, the question came up last week in the message that Pastor Todd preached on uh, from the first six verses of this chapter when Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth. And he indicated to us that those who should have known him best actually believed him the least. It took them a long time. Later, some of them did believe. But at first, there were a lot of them who had a real struggle believing that he was truly the God-man. They didn't have any trouble believing that he was a man, but they had a lot of trouble believing he was the God-man. In fact, uh, they uh, so, as Pastor Todd said, scandalized his identity that it became a stumbling point for them 
that every time they'd start to look at Jesus, they maybe see the works that he was doing and other things. But, but, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters with us here? His humanity, they allowed to become a stumbling block so that they didn't see his deity or his sovereignty as God. So it became a real issue for them, a real struggle for them as they dealt with this question of who is he? They had known him all his life practically, and yet still they struggled with the question. So a lot has been said about who this person is and helping us see that he is the son of God, even though he's come to serve among us here on earth. Well, this subject comes up again in the passage that we've just read uh, today. It comes up in that passage or that part of the passage that seems to be an almost parenthetical insertion. You wonder why. Why is he talking about Herod and Herodias and John the Baptist right in the middle of this narrative about sending them out? Well, the scripture tells us there uh, that Jesus' name became known and the more his name became known, that people began to say, well, who is this? And some said it's John the Baptist again. Others said it's Elijah. Others said it's one of the prophets, like the prophets of old. And Herod, I think because of his guilty conscience and fear, said, no, that's John the Baptist, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. Well, they were fishing for the right answer, if I may use that analogy again. But they hadn't come to the right conclusion. But they are still dealing with the question of who is this? And they have not yet grasped his sovereignty and his deity as they should have done. Well, in this text today, we see a transition take place in the learning about who Jesus is and about what he has the authority and the capability of doing. In last week's message, uh, we saw how the issue relates to salvation. They were not believing in Jesus as the Son of God, as the Christ, as the Lord, and they were stumbling over who he was right into hell in unbelief. In fact, though there were some believers there, Jesus said of Nazareth, you know, I I can't do many mighty and wonderful works here because of unbelief. They don't believe I am who I am and that I can do uh, what I have demonstrated already that I'm able to do. So last week, the passage was focusing on this in relationship to faith and salvation, really believing in Jesus. Today, the passage in chapter 6, verse 7 makes a transition, and we take up the same subject in the context of service, of being on mission for the Lord, thus entitled, called by the sovereign and sent to serve. Sent to serve, but only in the context of the sovereignty of our Lord. And his sovereignty is based on his deity, that he is the God-man, 
sovereignty, his, his authority, his ability to dictate, his being in control of things has to do with who he is. And so in, throughout the book of Mark, both the person and the mission of Jesus have been in focus at times, and the objective uh, uh, toward which the narrative is moving all along <clears throat> is Christ accomplishing his work and then doing his work in and through his disciples. And that brings us back to that early introduction of what they were going to be doing. And that is, if you follow Jesus, you will become a fisher for men. In these verses, we learn much from the first opportunity that the disciples have to fulfill that mission statement to actually get out there on their own and do it. They have been following Jesus. They believed him. They've been following him. They've been learning from him. They've been watching him. They've been doing some things with him. But now he said, I want you to pair up, or he chose the pairs, and go out. He sent them out by twos. In this transition, we are still focusing on his deity and his lordship. We'll see that unfold a little more in a moment. But we're also beginning to focus on his sending authority and power and empowerment, if you please, for them to do ministry to them, yes, but to do ministry through them, but still reflecting his power and his glory. Let's go back to halibut fishing for a moment. I was holding the pole and doing what I was told, but they knew where the fish were. They knew how to fish for the fish. They had the equipment. They had the ability or power to get me there. They had uh, the vision for what was going to happen, those kinds of things. In our fishing for men, it is still all about the sovereignty and the deity of Christ and the mission on which he has come to be the Savior of the world. So it's all about him still and not about them. Now, granted, there were times when like Simon Peter and some of the others were, you know, they were jockeying for position, who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom and all that kind of, when they got their eyes off the fact that this is not about them, it's about him. And our call to mission and ministry is about him. And it may be about them, but a lot less about us and who we are, except that it will reflect our willingness to accept his deity, to accept his authority, and to do what he tells us to do, to follow his directions or be obedient to serving him. Now, in the passage, we see several significant elements uh, uh, that are revealed here about this calling. And we're going to spend the rest of our, our time mostly looking at uh, five of those elements that are reflected in the passage of Scripture today. The first is the word calling, the calling. In chapter, seven, or chapter 6, verse 7, he says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out. He called the twelve. This is not the first time he's called them. You see, this matter of being called, which God does, 
that helps us to uh, become who he's called us to be or who he's designed us to be. This matter of calling begins with first the calling to come to him in faith. There are lots of people who believe that there is a works-based salvation and as a result, they try to start with doing things for God that they think will make them acceptable to him or that he will be pleased with. And if the good outweighs the bad at the end, then they're going to be okay and they'll probably get to go to heaven. But no, that's not, that's not the way it's designed from God's perspective. It starts with coming to personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We call it being saved or salvation. It is that time in our lives when we recognize we're a sinner and we accept the Lord and receive Him as our Savior and Lord. But that is just the beginning. We're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians tells us, not of works lest any man should boast, but we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so He calls us to Him for salvation, and then He calls us to follow Him. That is to, go, to come to Him, but then to go with Him And as we begin to follow him, we become true disciples of the Lord Jesus. Students of him, learning from him, learning how to serve him and how to honor him and learning who he is and what it means to have a Savior and Lord like him. One of the things I love about the songs today and and, and, uh, most Sundays when we come together is we're focusing on him, we're glorifying him, but we're also celebrating what that means in our lives, that he is the sovereign Lord. And that he has our uh, good and well-being in mind. What it means because of who he is, not because of what we have done for some ambiguous God somewhere. So come follow me. And he didn't intend for them to follow at a distance. You know, there were some of the disciples or some of the followers of Jesus that they just just kept staying at a distance from him. But he wanted us to come follow him close. Come unto me all you labor and are heavy laden. And and, uh, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, get in the yoke with me. Close. And then he goes on to say, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Come to me. Come go with me. Then he wants them, us eventually, as he did them, to go for him. Now, the wonderful thing is that is in the Great Commission, he said, if you are, as you go, you're making disciples of all nations, I'll be with you all the way. Lo, I'm with you uh, to the very end of the age. I'm going to be there with you. And so he sent them for him, but in his omniscience and his omnipresence and all those other things, he is able to be with us even when we are going for him. So we don't need to sense that we've gone off from him and now we've got to go back in that sense of the word. Go for me. So the team sending that we've already mentioned here. And then there's an element we'll come back to briefly at the end, and that is uh, come back to me. After you served a while, come back. Let's take, take time to reflect, as in verse 30, uh, when it says they returned and told Jesus everything that they had done and taught. And throughout the scripture, there's this time of the servants going out to serve, but accountability to the master, a time of checking in, a time of, of connecting again. So come back to me. And so the calling is issued. Who has issued the calling? Jesus, the sovereign Lord. What difference does that make? He's the one who's not only a a deity, that is God, but he is sovereign. He has the authority to direct our lives. And he has said, go for me or go and I will be with you. I am sending you out. The calling directly related 
to his sovereignty. The second thing we see, the second element that we see here is that of assignment. In other words, it's not just go out there and do anything that looks good or sounds good or that you think will help people. In the assignment that he had for them, remember, it's go fish for men. And in the assignment as it is fulfilled or as it it develops here, we'll see that they went out and they were empowered to, to cast out demons and other things. But in verse 12 of Mark 6, it says, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And this repentance is, is connected to the gospel, that men are lost sinners, that we're going in the wrong direction, that way leads to death, but God has provided a way of life. And so if we turn from self and sin and turn to God in faith, we will find redemption, we'll find salvation, He'll, He will deliver us. And so they preached a message of repentance. In the parallel passages in uh, Matthew and Luke, in Matthew 10, it says, and he said to them, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in Luke, he said, he sent them out, cure diseases and other things, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. What does it mean, the kingdom of God? Well, they've been waiting for a Messiah. They've been waiting for the promised Savior. Now, the message is, he's here, folks. (laughs) He's here. He's arrived. He has come, and he's ready uh, to uh, establish his work among us in our hearts and lives. And so the king has come. And the announcement is really the message of the gospel. Our assignment is to go fish for men, share with them the message that Jesus has come. And this is who he is. He is the son of God, servant of man, who has come to be the savior of the world. The other thing that they were assigned to do was meet physical needs. I kind of lumped them together, physical needs. There were healings. There was deliverance from demons. There were even some occasions when they were raising people from the dead. And so he said, while you were going, and Jesus did the same thing, meet physical needs. And most of the time, the meeting of the physical need had to do with opening the spiritual eyes so that people could see what Jesus could do, and they'd put their faith and trust in him and become a follower of him. It wasn't just about the physical or or material or other uh, miraculous thing that he did. But he did send them with a mission to take care of people, to minister to people's needs as well. That was the assignment. But I'm thankful that the assignment didn't come without the third thing, and that is the empowerment. The empowerment. How are we going to do that? Well, that brings us uh, you know, back to the passage. He says, and he called the 12 disciples and began to send them out to, and he gave them authority. The empowerment comes from him. This brings us back really to the concept of spiritual gifts. Some would ask the question, well, if they could cast out demons and they could raise the dead and they could heal diseases, why can't we do that? Well, the concept of spiritual giftedness actually comes from our our mini-series that we had recently, that it's not about the list of things that they could do or not do. It's about this fact, that the Lord always enables or empowers us to do Anything or everything he calls us to do. He was sending them out for a special assignment, and he gave them the power to do it. Could he do that today if he chose to? Absolutely. If that was our need and our assignment, 
He could do that today. He can do anything he wants to do because he is the sovereign Lord. And so that was needed in that day, especially for the affirmation of the gospel. And God called them to it, and he enabled them to do just what he had called them to do. And so this matter of authority, he gave them power and authority to do these things. Really, there are three concepts of enablement that the Lord provides. He makes us able to do whatever he calls us to do. So stop telling the Lord, I can't do that. If he's calling you to do it, he will enable you to do it. But there's also the dunamis, the power of God. That is, his supernatural power works through us to accomplish things that we can't do. In fact, we can witness all day, but we can't save a soul. It takes God working through us, the Holy Spirit working in the heart, and the Lord bringing them to regeneration, salvation. It's God's work that he does through us. And so he enables us and he empowers us. He works through us with his life-changing power. And the other is the authority, the word authority, exousia. It's a word that means he backs up what he says. If Jesus said, do it, and he's going to give you the equipment and the authority to do and the power to do it, he's going to back up whatever he says, whatever promise he makes. And so he provided them authority over the demons. They could command demons because the authority of Jesus backed them up. It wasn't their authority. It was his authority that he gave to them in that case. And so he equips them or empowers for the work. And that makes me say, thank you, Lord. I'm so glad. <laughs> I, 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 that makes me also courageous. I can go. I can do. Whatever happens, you're with me. You're going to help me. You're going to make me able to do it. And so it provides spiritual encouragement and courage for us to be able to do whatever God calls us to do. Well, there's another element that we need to look at to move on quickly. Not only, though, is there the empowerment and the authority of God, but there is also the awareness that there will be opposition. If you look in this passage of Scripture, you'll see him saying to them as they were sent out, some people are going to receive you and your message, and when you find somebody that, consider them, we call it a person of peace, uh, stay there, stay with them, work with them. Let them become part of your base for what you're doing. And, and so in verse 10, he said to them, whenever you enter a house and enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And so that's the place where you can. But then he says in verse 11, if in any place you will not play, if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, leave them and shake the dust off your feet as you go. Well, Shaking the dust off your feet. Sometimes we make more of that than we should. Simply means I'm done. <laughs> we're moving on. You don't want to hear. We've done all we can do. And so at least for now, we're moving on. And, and so it was just a, a cultural thing of that day. But what he said to them is, you're going to go some places where they're not going to receive you and they are not going to listen to your message. That's okay. Just It's your place to go and proclaim the message. It's not your place to save or to make people believe. He'll work in his way in that. But there are also some people that go further than that. There are some people who will attempt to destroy you or hurt you. And thus, I think a major part of the reason that he gave us this Herod story, John the Baptist had been preaching Jesus is coming, and now he's here, and now they, uh, he's in prison, and next thing you know, he's beheaded out of hatred and jealousy from uh, Herodias, Herod's wife. And so that case uh, reminds them, reminds them that there are dangers 
in the mission. And it's not always going to be easy. But he says to them, uh, listen, folks, I want you to know these things. But the, the bottom line is, go anyway. In fact, in the parallel passage in the Gospel of Matthew, when he's sending them out, he said, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Boy, that sounds like a happy assignment. Sheep in the midst of wolves. The last thing you want to see if you're a sheep is a pack of wolves. <laughs> but they're out there. Be aware of that. And he goes on to say in, in Matthew and, and uh, other places, listen, they're going to deliver you before the governors. They're going to arrest you. You're going to be in trouble everywhere you go. Be, there's going to be some kind of trouble. But he said to them in Matthew 10, 26, so have no fear of them. Don't be afraid. Over and over, he kept saying to his disciples, you don't have to be afraid. Trust me, you don't have to be afraid. I'm in charge. I'm the one on the throne. I'm the one sending you. I'm the one enabling, empowering, and giving you authority. Go in the name of Jesus. And whatever happens out there, and there will happen, things will happen. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep on doing what I've called you to do. And then that one final uh, point of element here, and that is what I call uh, the report, the information. Coming back. Reporting, in, in, as we study it, not just in this passage, but in the context of the New Testament and the disciples and followers of the Lord, seemed to have two, play, two uh, important uh, purposes. One was information. And in this passage, we are told in verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. It was time to celebrate what God had done, what he'd accomplished. Go back to the parables, the parable of the talent, those who had used it, and he celebrated and gave them more to do. You know, he blessed them, that kind of thing. The one that hadn't done anything with his talent, uh, he uh, chastised him, took away what he had, and gave it to somebody else. So, but there was always this time of celebrating good work. And I think this is what's happening here. Though it's the segue to our passage for next week, verse 31 said, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. That sounds like a well done, guys. You've been working hard. You need some rest. Let's, let's go get by ourselves and, and get some, some downtime here after all that hard work. It's a well done, good and faithful servant kind of thing. There's a celebration of what they've done. But there is also accountability. There's not only recounting, but there is accounting for what they've done. And, and the parables and others bear that out as well. Had they not been obedient, then they would have had some accounting to do, some things that they needed to deal with. And sometimes we find ourselves there. Rather than the Lord saying it's time to rest, the Lord's saying, well, what did you do with the talent I gave you? What you been doing all this time that I gave you? What do you, you know, I sent you out to go fishing and you haven't even left the dock yet. What's up? And so there are times when in this reporting time, there has to be some adjustment made for the next time that we'll be going out to serve him so that we can be truly on mission. And this brings us uh, to what I call the, the, the take-home truth, as we usually title it here, the, the main emphasis of this passage today. And that is that true disciples know following means fishing. You get that? Follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. It means that for all of us in some way. Following means fishing, even in the face of danger. When it's not convenient, when it's not easy, uh, when there is opposition, Regardless of the cultural climate, it's still our assignment, even in the face of danger. And they do it anyway, because Christ, Christ, the sovereign Lord, sends 
and empowers them. And with him in me, with me, backing me, then what have I got to be afraid of? What have I got to be cautious about to the point of you know, not doing what I've been called? Don't let those elements out there paralyze us because he's with us and he is the Lord. He's on his throne. So that brings me simply to say we are called by the sovereign Lord and we've been sent to serve his purpose in the world. Are we doing it? Are we true disciples as mentioned there? Believers in Christ needs to be settled. Students of Christ, that is learning from him in his word, our fellowship and our personal devotion. Obedient servants. When he says it's time to go, <clears throat> then we're ready to get out there on the water or in the lives of people and be fishers for men. If it's not true, where does it break down for you? It may be at the point of belief. You may be stuck in verses 1 through 6. Haven't yet come to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. If you haven't, that's the place you need to start. If you have done that, but something's still wrong, maybe it's at the point of student. You're not living in the Word. You're not following Christ as you should. If that's the case, we need to make a fresh commitment to serve Him, to get back with Him, to stay close to Him until we learn how to do what He's called us to do. Maybe it's at the point of really following, that is engaging in the work, or the point of pure obedience. We've learned a lot. We have a Bible in our hand and a bunch of it in our minds. We, we've done a lot of preparation, but we've not put any action with what we know. Someone said, if, uh, we know enough gospel to w win the whole world, but how much are we sharing the gospel we know? And so whatever it is God calls us to do, he has called us to be obedient unto him. Well, if it breaks down at some point, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it now? We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.